Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Tom and Jan here for your Friday. Yeah, hey Jen. Yesterday we were talking about the AUKUS submarine deal because the former Prime Minister, Paul Keating, absolutely slammed it. For $360 billion, we're going to get eight submarines. Right? This must be the worst deal in all history. So in our briefing today, you're going to try and find out if he's right. Yeah, we're going to chat to someone uh, who's from one of our most respected security agencies uh, called the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Now, someone who definitely does not think that Paul Keating is right is the current Labor Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. He is hit back at those comments. I think it is unfortunate uh, that uh, Mr Keating chose such very strong personal uh, statements uh, against people. Uh, I don't think that uh, that does anything other than uh, diminish him, frankly. Yeah, so on this episode, we're going to dive into the deal that has, well, divided the Labor Party somewhat. Penny Wong, Anthony Albanese on one side, unions and former Gillard Minister Peter Garrett on the other, along with Prime Minister Paul Keating. What is going on? Yeah, okay. So you'll speak to someone from that uh, security agency, Aspie, and ask them all the big questions. Um, Is it money well spent? Why are we going to wait decades? What is the point of the AUKUS submarine? So that is our briefing. First, here are today's headlines. It's Friday, March 17. The fear in the world banking system uh, continues with a big bailout for one of the world's biggest investment bank, uh, Credit Suisse. It was in big trouble yesterday that the Swiss Central Bank had to step in with an $81 billion loan. Um, This comes after our briefing also yesterday on the collapse of three American banks this week. That sent debt markets into turmoil and also changed predictions on interest rates as well. Lot going on. Yeah, there is a lot going on. Um, after the turmoil in the US banking sector, many forecasters are now um, thinking that we're likely to see interest rates start coming down sooner. So much interest rate speculation at the moment. Um, there was more of it here in Australia yesterday too because we had a strong employment figure. The unemployment rate's back down to the record 3.5% and that strengthens the case for a rate increase next month. And all of this highlights the tricky balancing act central banks are facing right now. To the NRL and the 14-year-old boy who racially abused Rabbitoh star Latrell Mitchell has been issued a police warning. Uh, so the teenager shouted a racist insult. This was at a game last Thursday. The NRL, though, is also conducting its own investigation. That is separate and that's an investigation that is still underway. Yeah, and the Rabbitohs are going to play uh, the Roosters tonight, old-time rivals so hopefully, um, yeah, Latrell Mitchell is treated with the respect that he deserves. Yeah, I think Roosters players have been urging supporters because, you know, fans boo uh, players from other teams all the time. But I think the Roosters players are sort of urging their supporters to go easy on Mitchell a little bit in in this particular game just because of the context. Well, urging them not to racially abuse him, I imagine. Well, that'd be just, you know, your basic way of behaving, wouldn't it, really? The bar is low. Bruce Learman, who Brittany Higgins alleges raped her in Parliament House, has admitted he lied to his then-girlfriend in a text message. So Learman, who maintains his innocence, 
He's now suing for defamation and is seeking to convince the federal court to allow him to pursue his claim even though he lodged it after the normal 12-month limit. So he said he was advised he couldn't pursue this defamation action until the criminal matters were resolved and also because of his mental health and that's why he was late to file the application. Yeah, so yesterday the court heard evidence from text messages he sent on the night that the project story aired the allegations. Um, In a message he told his then-girlfriend, a lawyer had told him that he could be up for millions of dollars in a defamation payout. Um, In court yesterday he admitted that he made that up so that it would appear that everything was under control. And the US government is ramping up pressure on TikTok's Chinese owners They've been told they have to sell their shares in the company or risk being banned in the US over fears that the user data on TikTok is being misused by the Chinese government. The Chinese foreign ministry says the US is using data security as an excuse to suppress a successful foreign company. Mm. Every now and again, a story pops up about the US trying to just ramp up pressure on TikTok because this isn't the first time that you know, a potential ban has been threatened. Donald Trump threatened to ban TikTok in 2020, but was blocked by the courts. Yeah, so now Biden's having a crack, but this seems like a strange strategy. Like, why would ByteDance sell down their shares in the company to improve its position in the US, only to not have a financial interest in that company whose prospects have been improved in the US. I just can't see why they would ever do that. Yeah, and I think the US will face um, quite a bit of backlash from the, I don't know, 100 million Americans who have signed up to TikTok if they ban it in the US. All right, Uh, right after this message, looking forward to hearing you ask all the juicy questions on the Orca submarine deal, Jan. I thank you again, Prime Minister Albanese, Prime Minister Sunak, and the United States could not ask for two better friends or partners to stand with as we work to create a safer, more peaceful future for the people everywhere. That was US President Joe Biden in San Diego this week. He was joined by Anthony Albanese and Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister there, as the three of them revealed more details about our $368 billion orca submarine purchase. It's over 30 years, but it's a hell of a lot of money and a speculative time frame for something that we don't yet have the capability to build. So did we make the right decision? Beck Shrimpton is from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, also known as ASPE. Beck, thank you for joining us on The Briefing. Is this a good deal for Australia? It's a very pragmatic and it's a very sensible decision. Submarines are the most capable Um, Certainly uh, the undersea environment is an incredibly important environment when it comes to both deterring conflict but as well if you have to fight it's uh, it's a really essential domain for you to have superiority and for you to have extremely high levels of capability and so submarines give you a lot. They give you stealth, they give you presence, they give you a large range They're a great deterrent because they introduce doubt into the mind of an adversary. And as far as underwater capabilities go right now and into the foreseeable future, submarines are the absolute top of the pile. Sometimes referred to as the apex predator of the sea, they are the capability that everybody is kind of going for and it's where the competition is at. 
It's more than just the number that Australia will get, but the number that Australia get will make a qualitative difference to the ability to deter conflict through having that really important presence in the water, but also to, uh, if needed, to effectively um, potentially fight and win a war, particularly in the underwater domain. Why would this deter a country like China? I mean, it's a massive country. It's got a massive military. You talked about this being the apex predator of the sea. I imagine China has got their own apex predators of the sea. Why would this be a deterrent to them if they wanted to attack Australia? Well, attacking Australia is not a calculation that is made in isolation. And that is the whole reason why we have alliances and partnerships. So what this does, it, you know, it shouldn't be seen as, oh, this is going to stop the PLA Navy from um, attacking Australia. That's, you know, that's not necessarily what this is about. This is about actually maintaining uh, stability and security in the waterways far away from Australia's shores as possible. The submarines play a really important role because they are part of a network of capabilities that that come together and again even even sort of on surface naval capabilities undersea you combine that with air you combine that with space you start to build a picture that is just not so easy for a competitor to find its way through and when you add what Australia is doing to the presence of a country like the United States in the Indo-Pacific and increasing or, or a reasserting of a, of a UK naval presence in and around this region and it starts to look a lot more difficult for a country like China to even have a, a swipe at what might be seen as you know that we're just sitting here in the region the soft underbelly that becomes a much more difficult calculation. Back when we talk about facing threats from China and we you know look into the future 10 20 years particularly with the development of technology that I know China is really sort of bolstering at the moment it could threaten Australia on a number of fronts be that a cyber attack or, you know, any number of things. How will submarines stop that? Uh, submarines won't stop a cyber attack, but what they do is they create pause in the mind of a country like China if it was thinking about attacking because when you're thinking about how uh, conflict begins, it might start in one domain or with one action, but it very rarely stays within that. You saw what happened in Ukraine. That certainly started with a, a range of cyber attacks, but it went kinetic very fast. We just don't see in modern warfare a cyber attack. It can be quite quickly. It can be uh, incredibly destabilizing. But, you know, if, if we're talking serious, uh, you know, a serious attack and intent to really bring uh, Australia down, it's not just going to be cyber. So you're going to need a range of capabilities and a range of options. And even if there was a cyber attack, you know, something that the US is really famous for saying is we will respond at a time and a place and in a means of our choosing. Um, being able to have that menu of options of how you respond, how you dial it up, how you dial it down, that's really important. So this multi, this idea of multi-domain capabilities and having an integrated approach is really important. And a cyber attack uh, is, is really just a cyber attack. If there's a real intent to do harm at a national level, there will be more than a cyber attack. You will have seen the former Prime Minister Paul Keating at the Australian Press Club this week. He's called the AUKUS deal the worst deal in all of history. He said that China does not threaten Australia. He says that if China is going to approach the Australian mainland, it would do so with an armada of ships that we can then shoot down from the air. What do you make of Paul Keating's comments this week? 
I think they're outdated. Um, I'm sorry to say they they, they do reflect uh, a different time, and um, look, that is not. Frankly, that is not the way that war is going to come to Australian shores. Um, we're certainly not going to provoke a war, so we're not going to give the Chinese Navy a reason to send an armada of ships. If they were to, Paul Keating is correct. We will see, you know, you'll see it coming, and there'll be plenty of opportunity to work with allies and partners and, and ensure that it doesn't get here. But that's not what they're going to do. I did read a piece in the Herald, which I'm, I'm sure that you're across. And for our listeners, it was, um, how would I describe it? it? It's a choke on your cornflakes kind of moment because I, I thought it, it was a little bit alarmist. The headline was, Australia faces a threat of war with China within three years and we're not ready. Now, a few days after that piece um, was written, the head of the US intelligence, Avril Hayes, told a House committee that it's not their assessment that China wants to go to war. So conflicting messages there. What do we know? What do our security experts know? What does ASPE know that the US intelligence chief doesn't? Oh, look, ASPE uh, was not uh, associated with that particular reporting uh, in the Australian media. It has been incorrectly um, associated with it. Um, right, because Peter Jennings, who is the former head of ASPE, was one of former, the people that was quoted head of in the, Yes, but has not been for nearly a year. He's entitled to his view. He's a very well-informed person um, and a very experienced person, but that is not the view of the current head of of, of Aspie, who I shouldn't speak for, but I, I do know that's not his view. It's only one angle or one um, one take, right? So if you if you look at, at the at the much broader set of commentary, I think that's the minority opinion. Putting a time frame like in you know within three years, it is a bit alarmist, and it's frankly not that helpful. What we tend to look at instead and, and what we're concerned about is, is patterns of behaviour, is that we're looking at what's actually happening, what's actually being fielded. There are certainly concerning signs and signals. The region is far less stable than it has been for decades. Our strategic environment is far less secure and far more dynamic that is for sure, but I think um, I found myself uh, nodding when when I when I heard Avril Haines say we don't think China wants to go to war. I, look, I, I don't think China wants to go to war either. The chances of miscalculation that that trip into into war accidentally, those things are increasing for sure. But you know the you know, an absolute ironclad intent, um, and you know that that deliberate setting out to actually begin a war? No, no, no. We are not uh, We are not seeing indications that anyone in the region uh, wants that. Let's talk about timelines. If we're, um, you know, I, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm using this reporting as a jumping off point. I recognise it's not the position of everyone. But this idea that we, we are facing a possible threat of war with China in three years, if the submarines don't get here until the late 2030s or the early 2040s, and this is if everything goes according to plan, what happens in the meantime? So that's what I think is is so interesting. And 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 while it looks on paper and, and and superficially like this is a really sort of cobbled together, sort of strange plan with lots of moving parts, what I think is actually most interesting is that the way that the AUKUS plan towards you know the ultimate Australian operation of its own submarines, yes, that's a really long way away. But the way that they have staged this, it does actually put submarines in the water in this region, um, at least by our calculations, about six more than there are currently uh, within about three years. 
that is a difference. Uh, it's a real difference to the balance of power in the region, given what this capability represents. So it does put a capability not in Australian hands. It doesn't have us shipbuilding yet, but it has um, it has a rotational force coming through the region, and it really starts to give Australians uh, that that skill and that experience uh, working with the capability with the Americans with their UK mm. counterparts. So there will be a capability yeah. operating in the region pretty quickly. The timeline is one thing. There's also the cost of it, which is yep. $368 billion over a 30-year period. That's a that's a lot of money, and that's if things don't blow out, which, you know, um, as these things tend to go, they sometimes do. How do we justify spending so much money at a time when cost of living is through the roof and interest rates are on the rise and people are really uh, tightening the belt? I have a lot of sympathy for for that um, for that perspective, and you, you, we will have heard, of course, um, our our political leaders, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister and Defence Minister Miles, saying that we can't afford not to invest in this capability. And of course, the counter argument to that is, well, we can't afford not to invest in in healthcare and our national disability insurance scheme and education, etc. Cost of living, you know, reducing cost of living, living pressures as well. This is a massively complex um, undertaking and it's going to require so many parts of our system in this country to come together. But this is where Mm -hmm. I think we do have a great opportunity, right? If you think about this in isolation, it's more and more difficult to justify. But if you think about it, uh, and the PM spoke to this himself, I think it it was his press club address, Um, he's really seeing this as a nation-building enterprise. And, And if done right, if combined with big ideas like the Modern Manufacturing Initiative, uh, and a whole lot of government policies that are sort of sitting out there at the moment, if these are meshed together well, then we do have uh, the potential to realise a, a really strong national effect, which will have skills, jobs, um, you know, and, and industry benefits for Australia. They will take time and they'll be complex. Uh, but I think if they are brought together well, there is there's real potential for this to address more than just the national security problem. Beck Shrimpton from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute speaking there. And not going to lie, some of the reporting around this issue has been uh, incredibly dramatic to have to read. Also putting into context our very fractured and increasingly fractured relationship with China over the last few years. I think a measured discussion is what is needed in this time. Measured. That is it for our show today, and that is it for the weekday briefing. Uh, Jamila Risby, as always, will be in your ear holes this Saturday with the weekend briefing. Jam, what do you got for us? I have the most fun chat lined up for you tomorrow. I have sat down with comedian Nikki Britton, who is a barrel of laughs. She is coming up at the Melbourne Comedy Festival in just a week or two now. She originally wanted to be a Shakespearean actor before somebody told her that her really over-the-top facial expressions were too much for serious theatre and actually told her she should go and get Botox. Nikki didn't do that. Instead, she went into children's entertainment and now has ended up in comedy. She is one of the serious stars of the Australian comedy scene. I love her. She is just a rambling ball of energy and we talked about Everything from fringe festivals to actual fringes. Make sure you listen to this one. Yeah, make sure you do. I love Nikki Britton. I saw one of her um, hour-long shows a while back and I absolutely loved it. 
Um, so if you get a chance to see her, please do. And if you get a chance to listen to the weekend briefing, also please do. That is it from us. We'll catch you next week. Listener.